Welcome everyone to Let's Talk Mercedes. In this podcast, we will be sharing with you some of the most exciting stories from within the automotive industry. We will of course be talking about the Mercedes-Benz brand and its cars, but we also look forward to meeting external experts for a very personal deep dive into the world of mobility. My name is Yasmin Blair and this is Let's Talk Mercedes. Thanks for tuning in. All right, today's episode is all about aerodynamics and as most people, I feel a certain futuristic, spacey, high-tech fascination for the topic, mainly based on very superficial knowledge obtained in physics class in high school. But then on the other hand, as a car enthusiast, that fascination always comes in combination with a certain need for speed. And that is exactly where my two guests come in today. They are engineers, scientists, leading experts working on the development and study of aerodynamics. So that made me curious, what kind of kick do they get out of making cars go faster? Plot twist, it turns out that we got to talk about penguins, imaginary water drop-shaped cars, and hoverboards. <laughs> in fact, this of course has a lot to do with aerodynamics as well as the never-ending debate with car designers, virtual wind tunnels, and Mercedes-Benz electric game changer, the EQS. We will cross all of these topics in our new episode and I wish you a lot of fun while listening. First of all, we have Teddy Voll, head of aerodynamics and wind tunnel Mercedes-Benz. Hi there Teddy, nice to see or hear you. Hi. Secondly, I would like to welcome Andreas Wagner, holder of the Chair of Automotive Engineering and Managing Director, Stuttgart Institute of Automotive Engineering. Hi there. Hello, Yasmin. It's a pleasure. It is my great pleasure. That was one of the longest titles we've ever had on the show. So we're going to have a closer look at what that means exactly in just a minute. But starting off, gentlemen, why don't we take it from the top and Teddy, go ahead and introduce yourself, please. All right. Yeah. My name is Teddy Wall. I'm head of aerodynamics at Mercedes and I'm responsible for all the passenger cars beginning from the smart and ending with the Maybach. And aerodynamics is wind resistance, aeroacoustics, soiling and draft protection. So that is for the cabriolets that the customers, when they drive roof down, have a very comfortable situation too. All right. Thank you, Teddy. We're going to elaborate on that, of course, in just a minute. But first of all, Andreas, you're up next. Introduce yourself and tell us what it is you do exactly, please. So sure. So my name is Andreas Wagner. I'm holding the chair of automotive engineering at University of Stuttgart. When, when I was a little boy, I was dreaming to fly. And afterwards, when I got my first car, I always wanted to go fast. And both of them has a lot of to do with aerodynamics. And this is the fascination for me still today. All right. So we're, we're already looking at, uh, at airplay, so to speak, at um, aeroplanes. When, it, when we speak of flying, Andreas, we're going to return down to earth just for a minute. Um, thank you for that introduction. But first of all, we still need to understand, you two, what is it that you actually do all day long? How can I picture an average workday at Mercedes-Benz or at university um, And since you do work in similar fields, where are the true similarities and where does your work differ completely? Just walk us through one of your average work days. 
from the Mercedes manager side, as a manager, you are not all the time in the winter. You have a lot of engineers. In my case, uh, I have almost 100 people working on the aerodynamics of all the cars and also running our own wind tunnel. So I'm in the wind tunnel maybe once a week, especially then when we have some problems to solve, um, discussions with the stylists and so on and so on. So that sounds like, Teddy, your average work day is a lot of bureaucracy or a lot of organizing, uh, a lot of behind the scenes work, so to speak. That does sound a lot more down to earth than I would imagine. How about you, Andreas? Walk us through one of your average work days. Oh, the average workday. I don't know if there's really average, but <laughs> let me this <laughs> let me describe it in in, in uh, yeah. I would say mainly three parts. So the first part, I'm a professor, of course. Uh, I have to teach. Yeah, let me say the engineers of tomorrow. So one one part is teaching and giving lectures. So the second part is really working with industry. So we do have a very, I would say, sophisticated wind tunnel. And, uh, of course, we have a lot of industry in the wind tunnel coming to us and uh, ask us for solving problems, for making some development. So this is the second part. The third part uh, really is uh, what uh, people would imagine if they hear professor. Uh, it is scientific work. So we always try to be one step ahead and find out what's the newest technique, the newest methodology to make the cars better. And we try to gain new expertise and new knowledge. It sounds very interesting and very exciting. Thank you, Andreas, for uh, walking us through what you do. Now, I did say I would like to have a closer look at your relationship. And I don't mean to pry, but you know that we all love proper drama. People listen to drama. So let's bring in some controversy. Is there anything you have completely different views upon or maybe you follow completely different philosophies? Maybe there's something that you cannot agree upon, not even in a million years To the point that it hurts. What are those greatest aspects where your where your work differs or your opinions differ? <laughs> yeah, I I think since I met Andreas, I saw that he is a, a driving dynamics guy, and my focus is definitely the reduction of drag. And I think Andreas, that's that's true. Huh? There there we have a, a little discrepancy apart from all the harmony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say a little discrepancy because I know how important drag is, but you told, you uh, just said it. So I was not only working in my career as an aerodynamicist, also in the Department of Vehicle Dynamics and Chassis Setup. And for that reason, I love downforce. And downforce sometimes costs drag, but it gives a lot of fun. Okay, right here, you guys need to explain drag, downforce. Uh, what, what what exactly does drag or the drag coefficient, Teddy, have to do with your work? Andreas, downforce, hel help us understand a bit better here. Oh, yeah, now it becomes difficult. <laughs> the drag coefficient um, is a figure that uh, shows how slippery a body is. And that varies uh, between 0.02, that is a small spindle and ends up at two when you have an open half tube and and put it right through the wind and all in between is aerodynamics and then andreas you come in with down force yeah so this is a very important thing for driving dynamics and driving stability um, that the car by the airflow is pressed down on the road 
And this gives more traction, this gives more stability, and this is very good for vehicle dynamics. And everyone driving in a car quite fast on a racetrack or so, he, he loves downforce. But unfortunately, downforce costs drag, costs resistance most of the time. And so uh, to create a lot of downforce is not very good for efficiency of the car and for the fuel consumption. So this is kind of a goal conflict. That is understandable. We will although have a, another closer look at uh, drag coefficient, etc. But before we do so, I think we need to take a step back. Please explain the term of aerodynamics, but without using the words resistance, drag force, flow velocity, mass density, and reference area. Shoot, either one who would like to start. <laughs> <laughs> that is That is really difficult. I think... The best example is when you drive with your car and um, put the window down and stretch out your hand. And what you feel there, you don't need to drive very fast. I think already at 60 or 80 kilometers an hour, you can feel an enormous force on your hand. And then you can take your hand and put it down or put it up. And that what you feel there is aerodynamics, the force of the wind. Now I used force, I'm sorry. <laughs> But up until then, you did very well. <laughs> you did very, that is very understandable. What about you, Andreas? Would you like to add something to that again yeah. without using these keywords? Actually, exactly that was the explanation I was intended to give. So if you play with the hand in, in the airflow, you really can feel aerodynamics. And I think one thing that everybody, again, knows from any basic high school physics class is that you know, we learn that air has a certain weight. And it's just hard for us to imagine because when you walk along the street, you don't feel any resistance. So can you actually tell us, can you put a number on that? How much does air weigh? I think it's one kilogram per cubic meter. And of course, you cannot feel it. I mean, you're living in the atmosphere. So I think you are used to it like a fish in the water. I don't believe that a fish feels the weight of the water but if you go with a certain which is velocity, thousand times higher <laughs> yeah exactly but if you move uh, in the air uh, with a certain velocity you really can feel the resistance and this actually is nothing nothing less but the weight of of the air what you can feel if you go on a bicycle you can feel it already and uh, even even at a familiar speed of 20 kilometers an hour you feel already quite a lot of resistance And I don't know if um, you have been in a fitness studio and, and pedaled. And if, if you want to create 100 watts of energy there, you, you get your cycle up to 20 kilometers an hour. And when you only want to double the speed from 20 to 40, like the triathletes uh, cycle all the time, you need eight times the power. Eight so, times. Uh, so how, eight how times. does that translate? If we, I think it was a very good example, or if we say one cubicle meter of air is, what did you say, Andreas? One, a, a bit over one kilo, kilograms? Yeah, yeah something so, like that. Something around that range. So what what about the, the, the wind tunnels? How much air is there in there? How much weight is actually in one of those wind tunnels that you two work in? It depends on the size of the wind tunnel. And, and our new wind tunnel in, in Sindelfingen has 40 tons of air circling around. Wow. Yeah. 40 yeah, tons can, of air. It can be something like that. So, uh, by, by the way, if you switch on the wind tunnel, you have to accelerate 
that 40 tons of air. So this is like accelerating a big, huge truck. So it takes some time to get the wind tunnel running. And so, Teddy, you've also uh, mentioned the, the wind tunnel in Sindelfingen. Can you give us just a, a brief introduction of that wind tunnel? Yeah, that's a, a big concrete tube, 90 meters long, 60 meters wide, and about 20 meters high, where the air circles around. We have the old wind tunnel in Stuttgart unter Türke, where Andreas and I met the first time. Then we have the, wind, the new wind tunnel in Sindelfingen. And then we have two climatic tunnels where we do all the thermal testing. So in total, four. And do you work at all four of those? Yes, definitely. The whole department is in these four tunnels. Um, the new wind tunnel in Sindelfing and the two climatic tunnels, um, five days a week in two shifts and sometimes also Saturdays. Wow. Okay. So a lot of hard work put into that. Uh, what are the areas in which aerodynamics uh, plays a role apart from the automotive world? And what may be the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word aerodynamics? Is it actually even cars? In, in simple words, I would say aerodynamics plays a role in any case when something is moving in the air or in the water, in another fluid. So if you think about uh, ships or airplanes or um yeah i mean you you can just have a look into the nature um an eagle or an owl that wants to fly needs aerodynamic properties so i would say aerodynamic is is a topic and uh you you can see in almost any any field in techniques and nature teddy is that what comes to mind for you as well is it mother nature my first uh, thought was flying every i think everybody of us has already sitting in an airplane And um, there, aerodynamics is all present. So the whole the whole aircraft is designed aerodynamically. And the most interesting thing is the wing of the airplane. You have uh, definitely seen how the wing can pull out during takeoff and landing to create a very big lift to get these sometimes hundreds of tons into the air. And there, without aerodynamics, these aircrafts would never get off the ground. I think it's very interesting that the first thing that comes to mind for both of you, the same is Mother Nature and examples from uh, nature. And we as mankind were very good at trying to capture and, and recapture things that are so perfect in nature. Isn't that in some way frustrating to you that nature has everything locked down so perfectly. And then here you are, you too, you get paid to capture that in a lab and you can never quite achieve that perfection that we see in nature. Isn't that freakishly annoying sometimes, honestly? <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say that's frustrating. Uh, I, I would even say in the contrary, because uh, nature had millions of years for evolution. And uh, nature, I think, is a master in designing things. And uh, it's always exciting and a pleasure to have a close look to nature and try to understand what's the solution that was found over millions of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same, right. same from my side. An aircraft is extremely interesting, especially for engineers, but nature is extremely fascinating. One of my uh, favorite animals is the penguin, and even it's, it's a quite 
bold body. Uh, it has a shape with a drag coefficient of 0.03. You remember maybe I said before that the best form is a very thin spindle with 0.02. And the penguin is so close to that uh, perfectly technical shape. And what nature has done here in, in millions of years is fantastic. And the, I read some some months ago about a new investigation where they uh, looked at the penguins, why they can escape their predators sometime and found out that the penguin has some air in his fur. And when, when the penguin get chased, he can press this air out of his fur and make a huge acceleration to escape being eaten. And I think this is very fascinating. And uh, also, the, for example, the swordfish, which is uh, the fastest animal underwater, reaches more than uh, 100 kilometers an hour underwater. And th these animals, they have a spare at the front of the head. And then via evolution, they have created an oil gland When, when the spare goes into the head, they produce oil and then create a boundary layer around the whole fish wow. to become even faster. So and how do you translate that into a car? The, the part with the oil is interesting. <laughs> I think spraying oil would be very, very dangerous on a road. Uh, what do you think, Andreas? <laughs> I, I love the instinct from the penguins. So pressing yeah. the air out. Yeah. out. That, that, that sounds very curious. <laughs> yeah. But I see that we are not trying to, to imitate or to be better than nature, but it's a, a great source of inspiration for both of you, as I hear. And This reminds me of something that you said in a previous conversation. This is also something a physicist I once spoke to said, and he told me that he considered it somewhat frustrating that the shape and the form of the perfect automobile in theory, in theory, would mean creating a vehicle that we will never, ever see on our streets in real life. It's nothing that would ever sell. Um, what would you two say would that or could that imaginary car look like? And why is it something of imagination that we will never sit behind the steering wheel of? Yeah, <laughs> I think first we should get rid of the wheels because wheels <laughs> are the worst. <laughs> And if you look, for example, at these record cars, maybe solar cars like uh, the Australian Solar Race or these eco marathons, These cars, they have very, very slim wheels because a standard wheel on a car, that's really an annoying part for aerodynamicists. Aerodynamics, wheels are the worst. I'm going to make a yeah. t-shirt for you, Teddy. Visit you in a wind tunnel someday. <laughs> Aerodynamics, wheels are the worst. So the, 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 it would have to be something gliding, right? Yeah, flying carpet or something like that. Um, Andreas, what do you think? Now we want. So I'm telling you, not only as a, as someone from driving dynamics, we, we have to live with them and the good properties, of course. There have been a lot of studies uh, going back to the 30s and the 40s. What's the best shape of a car? And uh, it would be a water drop. So very round in the front end and formed, uh, shaped like a drop. And of course, this would be the best way to make little drag. But no one, first of all, would buy this car. So I, I cannot imagine drive a car 
looking like a drop from a styling point of view, of course. But on the other hand, it's not very useful for a practical use because you need a trunk. You want to put something in. You want to have passengers have, having some, some kind of head clearance when, when sitting in the car and having some comfort and so on. And that's the reason why you know what's the optimum shape from a theoretical point of view, but you cannot bring it on road because there's no use case for passengers. I think the same like Andreas, because if you want to get off the ground for flying, because that's the necessity for that, you would need a lot of energy to lift all these cars and then they become extremely inefficient. So the wheel, as bad it is for us aerodynamicists, is a very, very efficient move of transportation. Remember cycling um, example, when you go on a real good racing cycle, how good that rolls. And even a car, the, the best tires today, they have rolling resistance of five kilograms per ton. So this is a very, very efficient means of transportation. But I think, Teddy, this is exactly the challenge for both of us, because we know that, uh, for instance, wheels, they have a very negative effect on drag, but uh, you need to have them for, for several reasons. And the question for us in the future is, uh, like it maybe has always been, how can, how can we handle this disadvantage given by these parts and minimize the negative effect? I think that's a big challenge. Definitely. Yeah, and, so um, you have a few years of work ahead of you. Definitely. Hundreds of years of work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the car so, is now mm -hmm. 130, 140 years old. And there has been already a tremendous development from then. But as you see, the, the speed of development is even accelerating. Be very, very interesting how cars in another 100 years look like. Very interesting yeah. question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have an idea of what ca the car could look like in 100 years? Or is that, would you have to unravel your glass ball to tell us? <laughs> If you go back to history of aerodynamics and see the development of the, of the outer skin, of the shape of the car, I think you can see some changes in that. So the first cars, they were very like a box, sharp edges, very steep angles of the front window and so on. And uh, step by step, they became more aerodynamically shaped with a low front end, a higher rear end of the car. So I think the development of aerodynamics over the time is also connected with styling on the one hand, but on the other hand, also on uh, technical knowledge, how to minimize effects coming from parts that are not very beneficial in terms of drag, in terms of aerodynamics. I see this two ways, styling and technical solutions. Styling and technical solutions. And you just mentioned certain parts of the car that have great impact on aerodynamics. And also you already described to us what the perfect shape would be, why that is not realistic, why we won't be driving these water drop shaped cars, for example. Which parts of a vehicle have the greatest impact on aerodynamics that we as consumers and as drivers have no idea of? Which parts would you say are something that our listeners will Say, what? That has influence? So Teddy mentioned the first one already. It's the tire and the whole wheel. So also the rim, how open is the rim. Then the next one uh, having a big influence is the brake. 
because the brake has to be cooled and gives resistance, then of course, if you have to, to bring in cooling air anywhere in the car, this is a big matter that costs drag and that gives resistance to the car. So Teddy, I think there are a couple of more. Yeah, cooling air and also the passengers, they need fresh air. Then we have some parts around the car which need to be there. For example, the outside mirror. And they have, even if we work on them since decades, they have still a negative effect on drag. We need to move along to one very important aspect that we did mention earlier on as well. And that is electrification, of course, because the bigger and bigger electrification is becoming in the automotive industry, the more and more we hear of aerodynamics. So maybe you could explain to us the connection between aerodynamics and electrified vehicles. Electrification is, from my point of view, a strong accelerator for the aerodynamic evolution. On one hand, electric energy stored in the batteries is very precious and very poor. A battery has, compared to a fuel tank, only 180s of the energy density. So this very, very rare and precious energy has to be saved when you want to construct an electric vehicle. And therefore, on drag reduction, there is a very, very special focus when you design an EV. Fortunately, these EVs have um, some positive effects. That is, for example, the very, very little cooling demand. This is only a tenth of a gasoline car and the very, very flat underbody. An electric vehicle has a completely smooth underbody. And these two help a lot to bring the drag down. That's one of the secrets why all these electric vehicles like our EQS are so, so good. And you have brought us directly to the EQS Teddy, which is the world's most streamlined series car when it comes to aerodynamics, which is, of course, extremely impressive. So you just explained to us what the greatest challenges are in creating the EQS. How did you overcome these challenges? Yeah, if, if you build an EV, you need to put a battery into the car. And these batteries are in almost all cases fixed in the floor. And this makes the car higher, which the stylists don't like, which the aeronemesists don't like. So we made it as flat as possible. So if you make the battery flat, you have to either make it long or wide. And make it wide is also not a good idea because uh, the roads, for example, driving through a construction site on a German autobahn, the width of a car is also strictly limited. So the only thing is length. And length is also not a good idea because we have, if you construct an S-Class, electric S-Class like e EQS, it should not be much, much longer than five meters. So... The, the biggest challenge we had was to have an extremely long wheelbase from one wheel, from the front wheels to the rear wheels and a limit of overall lengths that made short overhangs. And short overhangs is from the aerodynamic point of view, real poison. 
So that I think was the biggest challenge and um, we, we manage it. Now, something you also already mentioned, Teddy, was design, or we spoke of design style versus aerodynamics in general. Yeah, we're going to have a closer look at that interaction with designers and other departments at Mercedes-Benz as well, because I think it's very interesting to see how you have to collaborate and work together to make uh, to make things work. Now, let's let's do this. Let's picture something. Let's picture you, Teddy, and Andreas in a room, sitting on a chair next to, let's just say, Gordon Wagner. And then I throw in the question, What comes first, design or aerodynamics? What would you two argue in favor of aerodynamics? It's the chicken and egg question, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Teddy, you can agree or disagree, but I would say in the best case, both comes at the same time. And uh, if it really goes like a ping pong game and it develops step by step together, this gives the best solution in the end. Yeah, it's definitely like that. Let me point out another uh, topic. When we design a new generation of cars like the EQ series now, the styling starts with a proportional model. That is a, a very early model that shows how the proportions will look like. For example, with now with the long wheelbase and the big wheels and the short overhangs and that coupe drop shape. And when... The stylists designed their first proportional model. We already, from our aerodynamics point of view, we already start pushing this proportional model into the right aerodynamic proportions. So that's a, a handshake from the beginning. So again, for better understanding, how long is this phase of altering, handing it back to design, design altering, handing it back to you? Uh, this this phase in the beginning, it's probably on paper or maybe virtually. And then at some point there's a prototype. When do you take which step? How long is it just design or planning on paper? When do you actually build the first model? The first model, the proportional model is, is made right from the beginning. But it then, when the proportional phase that takes maybe half a year or so, roughly, when this ends, the basic shape is already not bad. Yeah, you can also say it's quite good because that's our goal with front loading, make the shape from the beginning as good as possible. And that was also one of the secrets uh, for the EQS. And then the stylists start with their creative phase where they start to develop styling themes. Yeah, And uh, this takes maybe in total another half a year to a year. And Then there's a, a go with two and a go with one where the board looks at these different styling models and chooses then first two and at the end one model. And after go with one, then the aerodynamic fine tuning starts. And that takes quite a while together with the stylists and the packaging guys and all the other responsible people of the exterior to make it then really perfect at the end. And that is why it takes seven years time. That does make a lot of sense, of course. Now, you spoke of SUVs earlier, but now that we've heard from you and that you've explained that electrification is about streamlining and weight, how much sense does it actually make to create electrified SUVs? Are you guys yourselves even a fan of that concept or that idea? 
Yeah, that's a, a difficult question. Of course, SUV will never be the, the drag record holder. But last winter, for example, I had an SUV 2, an EQC, um, because it has a lot of other advantages. And people, many people love these cars and we sell a lot of them. And maybe if you don't need to drive long distances with a car, it makes sense. Not every car has to be a drag record car. So this specific car for every segment is, I think, essential. Yeah, I would I would say the same. Uh, it's, uh, it has to be seen as an, uh, let me call it, overall concept. And this overall concept does not only consist of aerodynamics, There are also a lot of use cases of the customer. Uh, what what is the customer in the end wants to do with that car? And this has to be taken into account from my point of view. Absolutely. Now, if we look forward into the future, we see that in every line of work, and that includes your lines of work as well, everything is being digitalized. More and more is becoming digitalized. Doesn't that entirely change the way you need to approach everything What is the most significant difference between a physical wind tunnel and a digital one? And how much does that influence the way you go about your work? Yeah, um, a real and a digital wind tunnel have nothing in common, really nothing in common. Um, let me try to explain <laughs> it. We take the surface of, for example, the styling model, any, any model from the styling, put a digital chassis, an underbody and wheels on it. And then create a very, very detailed 3D model of the car and the flow around. So this digital twin then of the wind tunnel has more than 100 millions of very precise little volume elements, so-called voxels. And this is then pushed through a number cruncher, a number cruncher with thousands of cores. And after some hours in the wind tunnel, you get the result in, in 30 seconds, like Andreas mentioned before. After some hours of computing with thousands of cores, you get then the result. So what, what do you prefer? <laughs> in the early phase, there is no option. Then everything is done digitally because the building up a wind tunnel model is very, very difficult and very, very expensive. So up today, maybe until the creative phase ends, we do everything in the computer. So do you even need a physical wind tunnel in the future? Will you? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Especially when you have the first prototypes, you need the wind tunnel because there are some areas, especially in, in the underbody around the wheels and so, where the simulation is not yet capable. And so at the end... There's no way around the wind tunnel, the physical wind tunnel. And as I mentioned in the beginning, we have also some other things like water management, draft protection and aeroacoustics, wind noise, which is even more difficult to simulate. How about you, Andreas? I would say a physical and a digital wind tunnel. They are just two different kind of tools you have. 
As Teddy said already, there uh, there's a difference uh, in the effort building a model, and afterwards, if you have to model once, uh, make modifications on that. So there's a, there's a huge difference just in in doing that. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a digital wind tunnel, so we're talking about a simulation, then you have much more options. For instance, to have insight into the flow. So you can make the flow visible. It's easier to, for instance, visually understand what's happening on the car, which is not possible uh, in the real world. So the, the secret from my experience is to combine both tools and to uh, take the best out of it, to have the best combination. And if you do that, if you do this successfully, in the end, you save money and you save time. And from my point of view, this is, this is a future topic, this kind of combination. Definitely, definitely sounds like a topic of the future. Andreas, I was just going to ask you as a concluding question, what actually robs you of your sleep at night? What are the great mysteries of your field of work that still need to be solved that you hope for answers for during these next few years? So I think that the job hasn't been done now, in the contrary. So um, there has been a lot of improvement uh, in terms of aerodynamics during the last decades. But this chapter is not closed yet. As you said before, aerodynamics gets more and more important in future cars, in electric vehicles. And I think this gives a very exciting time and a very interesting frame for future work. What is your next great, the next question, if you can even tell us, uh, if it's not top secret, the next question that you need to solve, let's say 2021, 2022, the one thing you're working on currently? So talking about aerodynamics is to even more reduce the drag values. So this is, of course, in terms of aerodynamics, one of the one of the uh, hottest questions. And there are some ideas. So just to make a few terms, we're talking about active aerodynamics. Uh, we're talking about solving goal conflicts in a different way. So there's still a lot to, a lot to do. And I think this is one of the uh, interesting future topic when we talk about aerodynamics. Teddy, basically, I would like to conclude. Thank you so much, Andreas, with the same question going out to you. Can there ever be a point of complete satisfaction for an aerodynamics expert at all, especially given the fact that vehicles have deadlines on one hand? On the other hand, they have to be attractive for the customer. Do you even feel like you have enough space to get your creative juices flowing? Will you ever be completely satisfied? Oh yeah, I think we we have we have many many points of satisfaction. But uh, at present with the EQS, it's it's a very special satisfaction. Maybe some of the people who are listening know that many years ago I was asked in an interview where the limits of drags are for a passenger car, of course. And in that interview, I used the word sound barrier for a drag coefficient of zero point two, and uh, it looked many years like a real sound barrier but now with the electrification we came with the first ev generation so damn close to the sound barrier only a few years later and that that was very satisfying that does sound beautiful and teddy at night you dream of 0 0.2 0.2 0.2 yeah and and maybe <laughs> to break this sound barrier then break mm -hmm. it and uh Maybe next year we, we will go a step further with the technology program Vision EQXX to break 
the today's technology boundaries, also in terms of aerodynamics. We are going to keep a very, very close eye on that. Thank you so much, Teddy. And thank you, Andreas. This was, it was a lot of fun. It was very exciting, informative, everything, you name it. And thank you to our listeners. We had Teddy Woll and Andreas Wagner. My name is Yasmin. And thank you so much for joining in. I hope you had as much fun as we had. We look forward to our next episode of Let's Talk Mercedes. Don't miss out, you guys. Take care. Thank you.